Welcome to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Now get ready for another episode of Strange Things with Joshua P. Warren. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are thoughts and opinions only and do not necessarily reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks or their sponsors and associates. You are encouraged to do the proper amount of research yourself, depending on the subject matter and your needs. Bringing you brand new, mind-blowing content, news, exercises, and weird experiments you can do at home, and a lot more on this edition of the show, The Brown Mountain Lights, Part 2. One evening, I think it was in the late 1990s, I was at the 181 Overlook, and this pickup truck pulled up beside me. A guy with the beard wearing a ball cap got out. And we started chatting as we were looking at the ridge in the distance. And he told me that he had lived in that area his whole life and that he had done a lot of hunting and had a very bizarre experience several years before. He left out sort of early one day by himself going down a trail and a pathway into the mountains with his gun. And uh, all of a sudden, this this really big sort of camouflage looking military vehicle appeared out of nowhere and just went blazing right by him. He said, I don't think they even saw me. Uh, and he wondered where the heck are they going? And, you know, like a half hour later, he got to the end of this path and uh, it was a dead end. He said, I know this thing didn't fly away. So I can only imagine that it went underground. So anyway, he continued walking. Uh, not too long after that, he, past this vast meadow to his right side. And uh, he said he looked over in the middle of this meadow, right as the sun was hitting it, and he saw something very shiny, very reflective in the meadow. And he was curious, so he decided to take a little detour. And he walked over to this spot, and he looked down, and he said when he got there, the shiny reflective effect sort of disappeared. And instead, all he saw was a deep, hole in the ground that was a few inches in diameter. So he thought, well, this day is just getting stranger and stranger. Well, he didn't have any success hunting. And so right after it got dark, he was making his way back. And as he was on this little ridge and he got to that field, well, now he could see there was some kind of commotion in that field. He could hear men talking. He could see flashlights waving around. So he very quietly sort of crept out of the woods and he saw that there was a circle of trucks that were sort of parked around this hole that he had had seen earlier. And that there was all these guys were running around shining flashlights and talking about something. And he said, I got to figure out what's going on. So he started walking uh over toward this spot, he said, but I just took a few steps and all of a sudden he said, it sounded like three or four guys with machine guns just all let loose and they were firing at this hole. They didn't even notice that he was there. They're shooting the heck out of this hole. And he just hit the deck. You know, he was scared to death. And as soon as he could, he got out of there and he said, I have no idea how to explain this. What were these military, you know, people doing up there? What was in the ground? Why, why were they shooting at something? Obviously, whatever's happening, happening at Brown Mountain has gained the interest of some people in the government. In fact, I know a professional photographer who was getting some great pictures of the lights. And he was actually visited by one of these mysterious men in black types who basically bribed him and said, look, 
if you just forget about this and you stop publishing these pictures, well, we're going to give you this. And I don't want to go into details because this is a true story and I don't want to compromise this guy's privacy. So you think to yourself, all right, well, what, what are these things? What's the big deal with these balls of light? People see them at a distance, but what happens when, you know, if you get a closer look? Well, listen to this. I was absolutely delighted when I was finally able to hear about and then interview a man named Tommy Hunter, who had a heck of an experience in 1982. Now, Tommy Hunter was what you might call a good old boy, okay? I think he worked as an auto mechanic, and, uh, you know, he was just, you know, a, a very rural guy who lived in that area who certainly had no interest in sensationalizing anything. And he told me that he was up at the Overlook one night and had a truly mind-boggling experience. What I think is so amazing about his story is that there were nine witnesses there, and I talked to most of them, and they all told me the same thing. One of the witnesses, actually, was, uh, at the time I talked to her, an officer on active duty in the military. And she didn't want her name used because she didn't want people to think she was, like, you know, crazy or whatever. So Tommy Hunter, <clears throat> who is dead now, was up there one evening with a group of people who had gone out, you know, just to look for the lights. They had friends and family. And uh, at, at one point, uh, you have to realize this overlook on 181 is right next to uh, sort of a ravine that goes down to a valley, and Brown Mountain is across the valley. And so they looked over, and up from the valley floats this ball of light. That is about three times the size of a basketball. It's uh, sort of, you know, white slash kind of yellowish in color. And it, so it's floating a few feet above the ground. And of course, everybody gasped and ran away from it, except for Tommy Hunter. <laughs> He's like the, the, the guy in the movie Fire in the Sky, you know, uh, Travis Walton. He decides I'm the one who's going to go toward this thing. So he walks up to it and everybody's screaming at him, get away from that. Are you going crazy? And so he walked up and it's hovering right there in front of him, buzzing slightly. And he decided to touch it. So Tommy Hunter reached out and touched this ball of light. And what happened next really comes from mainly the description of the witnesses, because I think it kind of knocked him out a little bit because he said the last thing he remembered is he is feeling an electrical shock, like sticking his finger in a light socket. And then uh, the people who were there watching said that when that happened, the light dimmed slightly and then he was basically knocked out, you know, and, and out on, on the, on the ground, you know, at least for a few moments but it did not discharge the light. The light was still there for a while. And then the light finally sort of bounced around some more. And it just drifted right back down into the ravine and disappeared in the woods. And so there was definitely something akin to an electrical sensation that he got from touching this thing. So, but, you know, again, it didn't, it didn't permanently hurt him. Uh, but he just very matter of factly told me about his, his experience. And you know what? Since then, uh, I have talked to other people or, or I, I've certainly read stories. Like, for example, there was a news story about somebody who had a similar experience. Uh, this was a news story. I, gosh, this was a few years ago, I guess. Um, Time flies, I'm going to say five or six years ago, about some people who were at the Overlook and claimed that a light appeared and then chased their car. And they were speeding away, and, and one of these lights chased their car for like over a mile. There are so many weird stories about what they are that it makes you wonder, okay, are we dealing with something that is a conscious being of light? Or is this just some kind of an amazing natural phenomenon? You have all of these stories about the place being haunted, being a portal. You have cryptids up there like Pumpkin Man, not to be confused with Pumpkin Head, but this sort of, you know, 
big headed uh creature with like kind of a uh a wilted looking body that runs around in the leaves at night um my friend Brett Clark who's a filmmaker he took pictures of all kinds of really bizarre contrails from aircraft over top of the mountain um i talked to a friend who said that he had a missing time experience up there uh and and almost i think he basically said what happened it was it was more of like a space time distortion where he's kind of like on one side of the ridge at one point or on one side of the like the gorge and then all of a sudden he's on the other side and then you have these stories about these big flaming balls of light that people see shooting literally across the gorge that some people describe as like a chariot of fire and then you know when i started camping up there there were times when at night I would hear what sounded like footsteps in the crunchy, dry autumn leaves. Lots of footsteps, the footsteps of dozens or hundreds of people. And I thought, wow, I wonder, I wonder if these are the ghosts of some Native Americans that were creeping into battle, just like one of the old legends says, right? All this is running through my head. A phantasmagoria. A phenomena is being reported up here, so when we come back from this break, I'm going to tell you what actually happened when we got serious about camping up there. And the very first time that we saw and videotaped legitimate Brown Mountain Lights and something wild that happened. I'll, I, I To this day, I can't fully explain it. And then finally, when I had my own, well, let's just call it close encounter with a brown mountain light. Uh, so much to talk about, so little time. And I am working right now on a new video report that I'm going to be breaking soon. It might even have historic implications if you want to be one of the first people to get that video report and i can't tell you what it's about you have to go to joshuapwarren.com no period after the p joshuapwarren.com take two seconds and sign up for my free e-newsletter at the site you will instantly receive some links including a link to a good luck charm and some very interesting experiments that you will want to do today. Trust me, JoshuaPWarren.com. That's my name. You're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And I will be right back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash strange things today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash strange things. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is she breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top 
of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Are you looking for that certain someone who shares your interests in UFOs, ghosts, Bigfoot, conspiracy theories, and the paranormal? Well, look no further than ParanormalDate.com, the unique site for like-minded people. If you like the senior crowd, try ParanormalDate.com slash seniors to meet like-minded people that are 60 plus. It all depends on what you prefer. ParanormalDate.com is great for everyone. You can also tap into members that are 60 plus at ParanormalDate.com slash seniors. Enjoy your search and have some fun at ParanormalDate.com. The four. The Art Bell Vault has classic audio waiting for you now. Go to coasttocoastam.com for details. You're listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Heard on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Joshua P. Warren, and I will never forget November of 2000. It was primarily a really rainy, cold, and miserable month in the Brown Mountain area. That was the month, however, when we got the first outstanding footage of weird lights on Brown Mountain. Brian Irish was the imaging specialist for the lemur team that I founded and uh, Brian had a Sony Handycam with the night shot feature on it. And that was quite a novelty at that time. And so one evening uh, we were at the overlook. I was with uh, Lauren and a bunch of friends and, and other investigators. And we got these really weird lights that appeared moving across the mountain. And, we thought at first that maybe we had gotten the first video footage of the Brown Mountain Lights that night, but later on, after more testing, we concluded that those were most likely four-wheeler lights. However, I believe it was the following weekend when we really got what I believe is the first good footage ever of the Brown Mountain Lights. And on that weekend, it was just miserable. It was just coming a downpour, and it was so windy and cold. And you'd, you'd almost have to be insane to be up there at the Overlook. I was there with Brian Irish and Lauren and my good friends Casey and Corey Fox, who are brothers. 
And that night, what was so outstanding is that it was so stormy, you couldn't really even see the mountain itself. And yet when the lights were appearing, they were just cutting right through all of that gloom. And they were on these sheer rock faces. And there's just no way it could have been a conventional light. And you could see these lights sort of breaking up into smaller lights and orbiting around each other. And it was just amazing. It was just an exhilarating thing. I believe that's when we actually got the first good footage of the Brown Mountain Lights. And so we finished up late that evening. It was very exhausting. And we all went back to my house and uh we went into the kitchen and we were all just standing around talking about what a night we'd had and then all of a sudden casey just collapsed just can't know we were young healthy guys you know we're probably in our you know early 20s or something like that i guess and and uh, and casey just uh just collapsed just hit the floor and we, we were really worried uh, about him and he said i don't know what happened i mean it, he'd never had that happen to him before so that was the first bizarro thing, but he seemed okay. So, you know, everybody went home and then the next morning, and this is the weirdest thing. The next morning, Lauren and I woke up to the sound of car horns blasting in our driveway. And we we're like, what the hell? So I walked outside and we had two cars. Only one of them had actually been with us at the overlook the night before and yet the horns on both of the cars were blasting and there was i mean we lived in the country and there was nothing around the cars at all and so i go walking over toward them and right when i was a few steps away both the horns shut off at the same time this is like some kind of john kill mothman-esque type weirdness some high strangeness happening around this period of time I'm not sure how to explain if we were tapping into some energy from another dimension or if something had followed us home or what was going on. But this is, you know, one of my introductions to really being exposed to the Brown Mountain Lights and what that does to you. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, well, that during that same month, we were up there with Mark Ellis Bennett, who is an expert infrared film photographer and he had a whole roll of uh infrared film and he shoots he'd been shooting infrared film for decades 35 millimeter and when the lights were appearing he starts firing off uh you know his, his camera and uh later the whole roll of film was just overexposed so uh, he, that's not he he would not overexpose uh, under those conditions, if there had not been some type of enormous amount of infrared coming from, from these lights. So being up there became very confusing at times because sometimes, you know, your, your equipment would malfunction, right? And you would just be left with your own experiences and your own senses. And that is why the most distinctive memory I have was being up there in, um, I'm going to say this was, I'm, I, I, I can, I'm, I'm sure I can look it up on, on brownmountainlights.com, but probably like 2001. I was camping up there next to Brown Mountain one night with Brian Irish and Casey Fox. It was just the three of us. And we were standing outside, uh, uh, of uh, Brian had like a truck of some kind. We were, I think it was his truck. We were standing outside of his truck. Let's say if it wasn't his truck, it was my truck. And, um, and we were just kind of, you know, uh, just messing around and chatting and just kind of had, you know, you're always, when you're in that situation, you're always sort of looking at the corner of your eye. And I was the first one to notice like, guys, what is that like? And then we looked over and both Brian and I started videotaping and, there was this big, beautiful, white, pulsating ball of light that was in the woods nearby. It was, however, uh, on the other side of sort of a cliff, so it wasn't something we could run over to, but it was still, you know, pretty close. And this big light, uh, it just kept pulsating and flickering and silently just ascended, rose straight up into the air and 
you could see it moving behind the tree branches as it got higher and higher and higher as it just went straight up into the sky. And if you want to see a clip of that, all you have to do is go to brownmountainlights.com. I told you that site is very outdated. Uh, it needs a heck of a lot of work, and I will update it soon. But uh, on the homepage, there is a link that says clip of UFO over Brown Mountain. Uh, click here, you know, clip of UFO over Brown Mountain. And if you click that, you can see this little clip of this big ball of light. I mean, it just it's a beautiful pulsating silent ball of light that just appeared in the middle of nowhere we're all watching it we videotaped it with two cameras and this thing just rises right up into the sky so there you go i mean this is this is real okay whatever you think this is this is real and yet and yet there is this enormous amount of sort of like weird activity around them I mean, I got pulled over by a deputy uh, at least once when I was going up there just to spend an evening looking. And and after, you know, sitting in my car for 15 minutes, he goes, well, you know, uh, sorry about that. Your car just matched the description of another car. You know, then he let me go. Okay. And then on another occasion, we were up at the parking lot of Wiseman's View, uh, another popular viewing spot for the lights next to the Linville Gorge. And uh, I was actually with the film crew that day, and we were sort of in the parking lot getting out the gear and talking about what we were going to do. And all of a sudden, this white SUV comes just like, you know, blazing into to the parking lot, throwing up gravel everywhere. And there's a guy in the passenger seat. And he's just like he had a big lens on a big camera and he just he just shoots pictures like crazy and then they go tearing off again and the weirdest thing to me is that right on the side of this suv was a a seal for the commonwealth of kentucky now this is in north carolina and Wiseman's View is a pretty remote place. So I was thinking, why is there a Commonwealth of Kentucky SUV here? And I couldn't figure it out for the longest time. And then I realized, wait a second, Kentucky is where you have the Mammoth Cave National Park. And Mammoth Cave is supposedly the, the longest cave system uh, in the world that we know of. And so I thought, is is this all somehow related to an interest in cave systems? They kind of run through the Appalachians or something and, and strange phenomena related to these caves. You can see how I'm trying to, to piece all this together, right? At one point, I mean, to tell you even more, <laughs> to tell you even more about how frustrating this stuff was. At one point, I hid a trail cam up where some of the lights were often seen and I hid it up there for, I think, a week. And then when I retrieved it, I watched the footage. And one night at 2 o'clock in the morning, and this trail cam's in the middle of nowhere, trust me, this big bright light appeared just right to the edge. <laughs> you could see the light on the edge of the trail cam. Like, if I could reach out and turn that trail cam, like, one foot <laughs> to the left, you'd have it, you know, right there in... in in frame and uh, it's so frustrating how I, I, it was just like almost impossible to get a good close direct look at these even though i had that one experience of seeing this light rise up into the sky and so after gathering all of this information and all of this data i said look why don't we try to see if we can reproduce something like these lights in the laboratory so what we did was we took all the angles of all the cliffs where these lights have been appearing and I designed a chamber, an acrylic chamber where we could produce a partial vacuum and then put some electrodes in there that were angled very much like the angles of the cliffs around Brown Mountain to see what would happen if these electric fields would interact and what we got made the cover of a science journal but then something happened that to this day blows my mind even more i'm joshua p warren you're listening to strange things on the iHeartRadio radio and coast to coast am paranormal podcast network 
I'll be back after these important messages. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. With age, women and men have issues with fine lines, wrinkles, under-eye bags, crepey skin on the neck, and aging on the hands. Dr. Nathan Newman, doctor to top athletes and celebrities, plus creator of stem cell-based Luminesce, is proud to announce a much lower price on his products. Dr. Newman, tell me about the long-term benefit of Luminesce versus other store-bought products. The technology that we have is, comes from the factors and the polypeptides that the stem cells are producing. This is the language that the skin uses to talk to each other. And by using these products, you're maintaining the health and balance of the skin versus other products that we used to have before this technology came about was only putting something to cover the skin. It was never really to help to maintain the balance of the skin. So when we're using the Luminous Care line, we're going to continue to have a very healthy and beautiful looking skin that will be maintained and will continue to get better and better over time versus when you're using a moisturizer or when using most of the other products that we had before this technology you would only get sort of the moisturizer right there and then that was it. There was no long-term benefit. Thank you, Dr. Newman. For several years, we have offered Luminous products and decided a price reduction was in order so more can enjoy the amazing benefits of Dr. Newman's stem cell-based Luminous. Shop now at HealthyLooking.com or call toll-free 800-604-3129. If you would like to try Luminous, how about our starter kit postage paid for $19.99? See the full line of products from Luminous. 
plus our starter kit offer at HealthyLooking.com. That's HealthyLooking.com or call 800-604-3129. Luminesce from HealthyLooking.com. Hey folks, producer Tom here reminding you to make sure and check out our official Coast to Coast AM YouTube channel. For many of us, YouTube is our go-to place for audio-visual media, and we here at Coast to Coast are happy to share free hour-long excerpts of Coast to Coast AM with you, our loyal fans and new listeners. Our YouTube channel offers many different Coast to Coast AM hour-long pieces of audio on numerous topics, including ufology, extraterrestrials, conspiracies, strange creatures, prophecies, and much, much more. There's even a section that includes our most popular uploads, such as many of the David Pilates shows on people dis appearing in national parks to visit or subscribe just go to youtube and type in coast to coast am official or you can simply go to the coast to coast am.com website and click on the youtube icon at the top it's the official coast to coast am youtube channel you're gonna love this just get on over to coast to coast am.com and start your free listening now hi this is george nori and you're listening to the new iheart radio and coast to coast am paranormal podcast network now let's get back to strange things with joshua p warren The strange things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I'm your host, Joshua P. Warren, and this is the show where the unusual becomes usual. You know, we were covered, my team and I, by uh, all kinds of television programs, Discovery Channel, Travel Channel. One time we were doing a shoot up there with the National Geographic Channel and Dean Worsing captured a light that was so weird that uh, it was sent to the Princeton Optics Lab for analysis. And Dean was actually, I was standing right next to him when he uh, filmed this. We were at Wiseman's View. He had a night vision camera, which is only supposed to show green imagery. But despite that, a blue light appeared. <laughs> yeah, we've never figured that one out. And and the blue light went sweeping around the gorge in front of him. And so Nat Geo took his camera and his night vision goggles that were strapped to them and all that stuff and sent them to the Princeton Optics Lab. And they said right there on national TV, quote, we basically went through all of the wavelengths starting from ultraviolet and all the way to the near infrared, and we were not able to replicate the blue color. It is unexplained at this point, end quote. How do you like that? Princeton. That's why if you go to joshuapwarren.com, you should click the link to the paratemporal night vision goggles. That's the only type of night vision that I use when I'm doing paranormal research. It's in my curiosity shop there paratemporal night vision so anyway um what i did was i i created this you know vacuum chamber and i said let's take the angles we see on some of these cliffs around brown mountain and let's emulate those angles with these electrodes and we'll take some of the air out of the chamber so that a lower voltage will act like a bigger voltage because it has less resistance. And when we had all these different angles of electrodes intersecting, voila, boom, I was in the lab with Charles Yost and Robert McGee. And here we have this ball of light that appears hovering in the middle of this chamber. It was a magical moment. And I, w- I would have been just elated to, to end the story right there. But the real mind blower is that here we are standing there in the laboratory looking at this ball of light and we start talking about whether or not this ball of light might be similar to what people see when they see UFOs. And then right, right there before our eyes, 
this ball of light transforms into a saucer shape as if it is a conscious, sensitive ball of light. Now, that ball of light was made of what we call plasma, the fourth state of matter. Uh, look it up if you're not sure what I'm talking about. You know, obviously a solid is a state like, like ice is a state. Liquid is a state like water. Gas is a state like steam. And then there is this fourth state called plasma. Uh, plasma is the state that a candle flame exists in or a lightning bolt exists in. And it seemed to me that this demonstrated that whatever is causing what we see the things around Brown Mountain apparently are in the plasma state. And this made the cover of the Electric Spacecraft Journal, a science journal, and it was published October of 2004. And I believe that we are some of the very few paranormal investigators who made the cover of a science journal. So I'd been talking for a long time about how I thought that whatever was causing these things, that they were something like a plasma. And Ed Phillips, I mentioned in the part one of this, uh, he is the director for, for tourism in Burke County. He started doing these symposiums. Uh, the first one was in 2012. And at that time, the media had always been trying to sort of pit me against Dr. Dan Caton from Appalachian State University because they would always say like, well, here's Joshua Warren, the believer, you know, he's the wacky believer. And now here is the skeptical scientist from Appalachian State University. And, um, and Dr. Caton would always say like in the beginning, well, these might be just, you know, illusions or, you know, some kind of starlight being reflected or refracted, all that kind of stuff. And I was always saying, I think these might be plasmas. And then, um, and it, 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 it made matters worse. Like when we did our symposium, Dr. Caton would stand there and look down his nose at me and all these forest rangers and physicists and all these lifelong residents who had observed the lights. And he would publicly say things like, I'm a real scientist. I don't just play one on TV and I've never seen the lights. So you get the picture of like, you know, the, the situation here. Uh, and you know, which is obviously, I mean, you're talking about, I guess a real scientist gets to spend taxpayer money on like a sort of self-funded independent enthusiast who camp up there all the time, but have uh, trouble telling the difference between a campfire and a four wheeler and a flashlight and a bunch of, uh, spectacular multicolored lights that bounce on a sheer cliff and then float into the sky, uh, while producing, radio interference for a mile so you know a lot of people were bothered by this this dynamic but even he started saying well you know i i'm thinking maybe this is more of a plasma thing like ball lightning and i'm going yeah exactly you know i think that we're you know we're finding some common ground here and so as more and more interest picked up uh like i mentioned before the overlook got cleaned up there's a nice sign there, picnic tables there. And I started looking at some of the factors that might be in common. Um, when people see the lights most prominently and, and here is what we kind of came up with. All right. To predict an appearance of the lights, there are many complex variables involved here, but it seems like that most of the time people have really good sightings in late October or the first half of November. That may be because there is some kind of a temperature change that, um, is, is, is dramatic. You know, it's, it's the difference between the daytime temperature and the nighttime temperature is, is more, uh, pronounced and that might cause some kind of a contraction and expansion of the rocks around the mountain especially due to the fact that the mountain is almost completely encircled by thrust faults and these are these are faults that sort of slide up and down on top of each other and underneath each other it gives it some flexibility um so it's like the mountain's dynamic you know second it seems to to do uh, or it seems to be a good thing if it's either raining 
or a rain has recently occurred. And my feeling is that that might be because the mountain is acting kind of like a big capacitor that stores up small electrical charges over time to a critical point and then sort of discharges them. So in other words, as water flows through the mountain, through those crags and tunnels, it kind of might build up a charge on some of those rock layers and some of those layers are conductive and some are non-conductive which means literally the mountain might act like a big capacitor that, that stores up energy similar to a battery next is if the kp index is at a level five or above now i know i might lose you on that one the kp index is a measurement of how disturbed the earth's magnetic field is the magnetosphere it's always wobbling and changing around and so uh we're dealing with a larger system here than just what meets the eye and so you can go to brownmountainlights.com or just jump on the internet and do a search for kp index and it will show you what the reading is for today and if it's a five or above that means there's a lot of disturbance there's a lot of action happening and that might induce more of an electrical charge in the earth because the magnetic field wobbles around and that makes more electrical current flow through the rocks and the last thing is if there is an increased level of carbon in the air and i say that because whenever um we've had forest fires nearby the lights seem to be more pronounced or when you have more campers out there burning campfires the lights seem to be more pronounced and so um those may be four factors and i'm not saying that you can't see the lights year round i mean i had some good friends uh, one of them just recently passed away and they would go up there uh, every summer, every July, and and spend every day at Wiseman's View uh, and around the big rocks there, uh, Table Rock and Hawksbill, and they would get some amazing images of the lights. But those are, I think, the four things, and, and those are repeated for you at brownmountainlights.com. One, if you want the best chances, view the area in late October or the first half of November. Number two, if it's raining or it has recently rained. Number three, the KP index is five or above. And then last, if there is an extraordinary amount of carbon in the air. Well, guess what? We're going to take a break here soon. But guess what finally happened? Yes, even Dr. Caton and uh, and his crew saw and documented the brown mountain lights this happened let's see well it was announced in the charlotte observer august 13th of 2016 uh wlos.com says scientists from appalachian state university believe they have captured images of the elusive brown mountain lights it goes on to say that uh, glowing lights were captured simultaneously by two time-lapse digital video cameras near the mountain, which is located just north of Morganton. The cameras are operated by Daniel Caton and his colleague Lee Hawkins of the Physics and Astronomy Department of Appalachian State. Um, so you see, we weren't nuts. We weren't crazy this whole time. There's something up there. But when we come back... I'm going to tell you what ticks me off a little bit. <laughs> I'm Joshua P. Warren. You're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I'll be right back. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. 
Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Men and women can have an excess of 100,000 hairs. Unfortunately, before hair loss is noticed, that number drops nearly in half. But it is by no means too late. Easy to apply Reveal from Dr. Nathan Newman uses stem cell technology and natural ingredients to revitalize the appearance of your hair for the fuller look you remember. Here's Dr. Newman. A lot of people with hair problems have come up to me showing me pictures after two months of use, after three months of use of the Reveal serum on their scalp, showing me dramatic improvement in the quality of their hair, volume of their hair, and one of the people was a woman who had lost her hair and was really thinned out. She was wearing wigs and covering it up. She was very self-conscious about it. She used it for about six months and she came to me with a big smile, nothing covering her hair. And she goes, look, you gave me my life back. And that's really why I do what I do is because I want to change people's lives for the better. And these stories give me the inspiration to go forward and develop new things. Hair loss, hereditary or not, increases with age. In fact, by age 50, roughly half of us have noticeable hair loss. It's time to get on board with Reveal for women and men. And only at HealthyLooking.com can you get Reveal with free smart delivery shipping by simply entering discount code GEORGE at checkout. Easy to use Reveal at HealthyLooking.com or order by phone at 800 604-3129, 24-7 at 800-604-3129. Gently revitalize your hair's appearance for a fuller look with Reveal from HealthyLooking.com. Did you know that tests that could save your life from cancer are now available for little or no cost thanks to the health care law called the Affordable Care Act? Let this be the year you get screening tests that can help detect cancer early when it's most treatable. Don't let concerns get in your way. Talk to a doctor or other medical professional to learn more about the best cancer testing options for you.
Welcome back to the final segment of this edition of Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I'm your host, Joshua P. Warren. And in that 2016 report, yeah, Dr. Caton said this is the first time we've had a dual detection. The phenomena on both cameras, it was something out there. It came on and went back off virtually instantly four times over several minutes. We've eliminated all the things that are likely man-made natural sources, so we are left with no real explanation other than it's whatever the lights may actually be, end quote. So you see, we've all found that if you spend enough time out there, eventually you're going to see this phenomenon. But here's what ticks me off, okay? This is one of the reasons I say you have to always distinguish very clearly between the TV business and real research. In 2019, I was up at Brown Mountain because I was hired to be part of a major television production. And they were bragging about the fact that they had a guy there who was a big licensed drone operator. He had the biggest, fanciest drone I'd ever seen. And I said, man, this is fantastic. You know, to have a drone like this. Now, if a light appears in the distance, you know, zoom over there. So all day long, he gets all these sweeping shots with the drone. And then nighttime rolls around and we're out there at Wiseman's view. And I was thinking there's very little chance that the lights are going to appear because over the 15 years I was camping up there, I only had a good sighting maybe half a dozen times. But lo and behold, we lucked out. As we were there, a little after sundown, I'm standing next to Forrest Connor. We look over, and holy cow, I can see, I know it, the real brown mountain lights start to appear. And I said to the guy with the drone, fly it over there! Fly it right up to them. You know, let's see. And he goes... Now, I can't do that. I said, what are you talking about? This whole TV show is one hour on a major network about solving the mystery of the Brown Mountain Lights. I said, there they are. You have the drone. Fly the drone right over. He says, yeah, they told me I couldn't fly it after dark or I'll get a big fine. I was like, well, why are we here then? I told the guy, I will pay your fine. I'll pay the damn fine. Just turn it on you know fly it over he wouldn't do it he wouldn't do it you know how frustrating that is to be in my position and to see something like that that's been a mystery for you know hundreds of years <laughs> and there's a guy with with a, a professional tv quality drone as part of a professional tv crew and has this miraculous golden moment and won't fly it over you know how frustrating that is for me So, listen, I've been to Marfa. I've seen the Marfa lights. I think it's a different thing. Uh, when you get close to the Marfa lights, they tend to um, disappear like they might be an optical illusion. There's a place in Norway called Hestelen where, where they, there's a very similar phenomenon to the brown mountain lights. But instead of it being on a mountain, it's in a valley. And I think that places like Brown Mountain are our portals okay they produce so much energy that the lights are just the most obvious illustrations but they're you know you have a myriad of, of experiences and they're all byproducts of a place that conducts this kind of electrical and electromagnetic energy you know the canadian scientist Mike, michael persinger has said that when people come into contact with electromagnetic frequencies at a certain uh, rate or, 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 or at a certain magnitude, they can start to have paranormal experiences. Maybe that's part of it. Uh, maybe some of these are what we, you know, are, we consider fairies, like conscious beings of light. Maybe these lights are coming from the ends of wormholes to another dimension. You know, we're looking in the window. Uh, the author Paige Bryant 
in her classic 1994 book called The Spiritual Reawakening of the Great Smoky Mountains, said that Brown Mountain is a vortex. It is a place where energy is passing back and forth. And um, so is Table Rock and Hawksbill, these two big points right near there. So, again, it goes back to the idea that this is some kind of a phantasmagoria. The lights are one expression of this, but it doesn't explain it all. And the government definitely studies this stuff for some reason. So before we're out of time here, let me read to you the conclusion that I wrote in my free booklet about this that you can download right now if you go to brownmountainlights.com. I wrote, whatever they are, the Brown Mountain Lights remind us that Earth is a powerful and dynamic machine. NASA has shown us that the very gravitational field is an inconsistent and irregular force about its surface. And enhanced imaging techniques reveal spectacular, eerie flashes of light and electricity in and all around the planet. Each second, somewhere on the globe, bolts of lightning strike the ground, banging the earth like a giant drum and strumming out cosmic harmonies. Whether the lights begin with something geologic, atmospheric, or truly interdimensional, there is a greater story here. If we strip away all the opinions... We ultimately have a place where, for over a century, humans from all walks of life have essentially described something simple. Weird lights on a dark mountainside. The geologists focus on piezoelectricity. The chemists focus on gas. The astronomers focus on optical illusions. The physicists focus on plasma. The spiritualists focus on ghosts. The UFO hunters focus on flying saucers. And the conspiracy buffs focus on mind-bending plots. Yet all the while, the songwriters, poets, and artists are just as inspired by their own personal, multicolored visions. The mountain is a phantasmagoria of strange tales, but ultimately, it is a vast blank slate it is the tracing board for all manner of human adventure, exploration, wonder, and imagination. Regardless of what they are, the mere concept of the Brown Mountain Lights makes them important. And in this internet age, when the whole universe seems right at our fingertips, how refreshing it is to have a good old-fashioned mystery still quietly waiting to be solved right here in our own backyards. That's how I ended this booklet. And just keep in mind, this is a free attraction. You can go there to the Pisgah National Forest and sit at the 181 Overlook and enjoy and you'll have a good night. Whether or not you see the lights, you'll have a good time out there. But you know what's even more important about this? Even though we don't know exactly what they are, and I've given you the best overview I can give you in two, two editions of this show, this demonstrates for you the importance of paranormal phenomena and the importance of paranormal research because all things are mysterious until they are not, right? <laughs> That's the purpose of science. The purpose of science is to explore the mysterious and to examine the unknown. And if you think we know everything, well, just imagine in a thousand years, scientists are going to look back at us and laugh at how, how little we knew. Paranormal research is important because it embodies the reason that we have scientific research to begin with. It's all about looking at something that's unknown and then going out and exploring it. And hey, the paranormal becomes normal once we know what it is. But the whole purpose of science and exploration is to go out and look at these strange things. And not scoff at them, but to take them seriously. And that's why paranormal investigation is so important, because it's right there on the outer fringe, the most adventurous 
speculative edge of research. And that's where, really, the scientific method is needed the most. So I hope you see why that Brown Mountain is so symbolic for me as a place that shows us why paranormal investigation is important. I hope you've enjoyed this overview. All right, my friends, now it is time to relax, take some deep breaths, and I will play for you the good fortune tone. It seems to be doing a lot of good for a lot of people, so don't take this for granted. Here you go. That's it for this edition of the show. Follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren. Plus, visit JoshuaPWarren.com to sign up for my free e-newsletter to receive a free instant gift and check out the cool stuff in the Curiosity Shop all at JoshuaPWarren.com. I have a fun one lined up for you next time, I promise. So please tell all your friends to subscribe to this show and to always remember the golden rule. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon. You've been listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Well, if you like this episode of Strange Things, wait till you hear the next one. Thank you for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. <laughs>